1: Hey, everybody. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me on this edition of Down to Earth. It is Tuesday, September 22nd, so we are fast approaching autumn. I think today is the first day of autumn. I don't believe that. I don't believe it. (laughs) I don't believe it. Did I just say that? Today is the first day of autumn 2020 style. Unlike everything else this year, it doesn't even feel like it. It doesn't have the mood, shall we say, you know, that ambiance, the feeling in the atmosphere, the anticipation that we have. Typically at this time of the year, we look forward to cider. I love our cider and donuts and you go for hay rides and you go for all sorts of things that remind us all of autumn. But this year, it's not feeling like that. This year, it's kind of like warped. It's like we're still in the twilight zone and still... Somehow anticipating that this is somehow going to work out for a good. Okay, the jury's still out on that one. But anyway, today being the 22nd of, of September, I almost said October, means that it's uh, 42 days to the November 3rd election. So for those of you who haven't made up your mind how to vote, some states have started early voting. Please, please do so. It's a right and a privilege to vote. So if you have that privilege and that right, please take advantage of it, right? Just please go out and let your voice, your voices be heard. There's a lot of stake in this election, and we can't afford to not have our voices heard in one form or another, so please do that, right? So today I want to talk about something that I found while I was curing media and scoring pages on media to find interesting subjects and subjects that are relevant to you, my audience, to talk about. And what I came across was the cost of slavery and what it has cost Black Americans in terms of wealth for the last 400 years. And a gentleman named Sean Rochester wrote a book called The Black Tax. And in that book, he described and broke down uh, what it has cost Black Americans since the beginning of slavery in terms of wealth. Now, I'm going to quote what he has written in the book because it's his intellectual property. And I want to give him all the credit for it. I have reached out to him to invite him on. I'm giving him some time to to respond. But even if he doesn't respond, I think the information that he has shared, and I'm sure he would want you to go out and get it. So his name is Sean Rochester. And his book is called The Black Tax, and if you can, it is available on Amazon, so go look him up, get a copy of his book. As a matter of fact, tomorrow he and others are hosting a Business Insider panel, and uh, I suggest that you, you go on businessinsider.com and look up, uh, it's called Inside the Racial Wealth Gap Series sign up for their panel discussion tomorrow. I think it's good information. And to be honest with you, you're only as good as the information that you have. If your information is faulty, guess what? You are going to make faulty decisions. So go to businessinsider.com, look up Mr. Rochester, Sean, S-H-A-W-N, a a very striking looking gentleman. Can't miss him. And look up his book, The Black Tax, as well as go to amazon.com and get it. But he touched on something that, I think all of us have been thinking about, and I think now that the dust has settled, I think we're all kind of trying to ratify in our minds what has been the true cost of slavery. We're looking at our diminishing wealth and comparing ourselves to our white neighbors and friends and recognize that it's not for lack of effort, it's not for lack of education, but we still somehow cannot achieve the same level of wealth that they have achieved, despite the fact that we are working, despite the fact that we are working in similar competitive fields. So it begs the question, what gives? So we awaken to the fact that systemic racism is a major part of the issue. Now, the foundation of systemic racism, obviously, is white supremacy. White supremacy is the ideology that whites are superior, and that if they control all systems, whether it's government or economics or, med- or medicine or any kind of human-based anthropology or any kind of human-based interaction, then systemic racism then becomes the application through which they use to control everybody else. There's also structured racism where controls where you live, how you live there, how do you commu- commute, comport, how do you conduct yourself? So when you look at it, you begin to realize that the evil here is white supremacy. And if we don't do away with white supremacy, then we're going to be stuck in this cycle for another hundred years. Nobody has time for a hundred years. We want to build it now so that the generations who come after us are in a much better place. So they don't ask the question, well, hey, y'all, y'all been here for 500 years. What have you done? Couldn't you have changed it? It's some of the questions I hear from Generation Z, for instance. My youngest daughter is a Generation Zer, And whenever slavery comes up and we try to, my generation, try to describe what slavery must have been like or felt like and why the slaves could not. The question Generation Z, she and her group of friends keep asking is, then why, you all, why did everybody just sit there and take it? Why didn't you fight back And we were like, well, we were all all powered because they had more guns and people were afraid. And she was like, no, if if you're going to die, you're going to die anyway. Die running, but don't die because they catch you and tie you up. You see what I'm saying? So this generation has a different lens. They're looking at it through a different lens. They're not looking at it with the pain that we associate with it. They're looking at it fight we must. And I want to believe that It might have been the same lens that we looked at it through with our parents' experience, and our parents tried to make it so that it wouldn't be as painful in the delivery. But delivery are not. The facts are. And the facts are raw, and they are powerful, and they are profound. The facts are research. The facts are this is what it costs Black Americans. And the facts are irrefutable because racism as a product of white supremacy existed and still exists and is still continuing to rob Black Americans today of accumulated wealth. Do I have a witness? So I'm going to lay out the facts. And I'm going to show you because one of the things that has become popular in our day and time today is that politicians, the president and the attorney general, stand before this country that is built on white supremacy to the whole world as an audience and tell the whole world that systemic racism does not exist. The president just recently said the 1619 Project, a project that recognizes when black Americans first arrived in the Americas as slaves does not exist and it's anarchist. When you see those kinds of ideology and that kind of rhetoric, you've got to come to grips with the fact that that is intentional and that it is intending. It it doesn't just rob us emotionally of our place in society. We're not worried about that. You can't deny that. But what it does is it is saying that if systemic racism doesn't exist, then you don't need to organize. You don't need to fight against it. You don't need to put programs in place that will empower Black Americans economically, racially, culturally, and socially. Do you see You see what I'm saying? That's the connect. So when you hear people like him say that, you must understand that the whole program is designed to further decimate what we've been trying for 400 years to overcome. It's a dangerous time. It is dangerous for people like me. I don't know about Mr. Rochester, maybe He's more empowered than I am. But it's dangerous, even for people like me, to come to the forefront and challenge a system built on white supremacy that I have felt, that I have experienced the systemic racism, the xenophobia, the misogyny. My God in heaven, I have asked myself recently how much longer can I live under this kind of system? How much longer? We have become so accustomed to things going wrong, to being denied, to being fired, to be the first one, the first one fired and the last one hired. We've gotten so accustomed to it. We are practical and numb, not recognizing, having no desire, just feeling unempowered, just feeling like you can't fight anymore. We send our kids to college. They graduate college. Recently, last night, I saw on on LinkedIn where somebody actually put up a statement that hiring managers need to stop claiming that people who are hiring, who are seeking entry-level positions should not have a master's degree. Stop asking people to have a master's degree for an entry-level position with entry-level pay. That is discrimination because that bar is set only to keep minorities out. Because when white people get hired, according to the statistics, I got it right here. Let me read it to you. The statistics are that white employees get callbacks 50% of the time more than their black counterparts. So when hiring managers put out that you should have a master's degree for an entry level position that pays $15 an hour, they really are trying to keep minorities out. because when they hire a white person, the white person does not have a master's degree, but you assume that they do, and nobody asks they don't have a master's degree, they probably don't even have a bachelor's probably just have an associate's degree and guess what they're not being paid fifteen dollars an hour either because according to the statistics, listen to this black ba- black people with bachelor's degrees get fifty thousand one hundred and eight dollars, and their white counterparts get sixty one thousand one hundred and 70, almost $11,000 more. It always comes down to the Benjamins, doesn't it? My God, Black Americans have lost $70 trillion because of racism. Black Americans face a staggering wealth gap. The most recent statistics show that in 2016, a typical middle-class Black white family in the U.S. had 149000 in accumulated wealth, while a middle-class Black family had only $13,024, meaning Black families have 8.6% of the wealth of white families, not even one-third. That's shocking. According to Sean Rochester, author of The Black Tax, The Cost of Being Black in America, the cause of this gap can be traced back to slavery. Lord Help me. <laughs> Are you going to help me this morning so I can talk about this? Because we, we got a problem. We have a problem, and the problem that we have is racism. The problem we have is how systemic racism, with its foundational ideology of white supremacy, has permeated life and culture of Black Americans. I want to show you some stuff. And I'm gonna read some stuff to you and and I want you, I even have my pens this morning, blue and red pens, I'm scribbling all over my notes here because it is just the craziest thing that has happened to us. And I know many of us, for many of you, let me just give you a disclaimer, this is gonna be painful because some of the things I might say today are going to be triggering for some of us because we're going to remember our parents and our grandparents having this conversation or having had struggle through this. Or you might just remember, for instance, that this is something that your parents or grandparents might have experienced. And it is going to remind you, and you're probably going to feel some sort of way. But that's okay. Because when we get in our feelings, you know what, we'll start acting. Because we will remember what it costs for us, what it costs a previous generation and previous generations, and why we can't sit back on our laurels and not do something about it. I know I'm going to lose some of you here because you're probably not going to want to hear this because you're going to say that this is only for Blacks and so on. It is for all of us because we can't, we're not, the country is changing. The society has changed and we're not going to continue to live, I'm sorry, we're not going to continue to live in a society where inequality continues to be the bane of our existence. It's just not going to happen. In a few years, the majority, the physical majority of the country is no longer white. In a few years, it will be overtaken by the minority. The minority population groups of blacks and Latinos will become the majority of people in this country in less than 10 years. What is going to happen to that? Do you see what I'm saying? That's going to be a problem when people are the majority, but they don't have the majority of the wealth. You see where we are in a sliding scale. So when our ancestors, when your ancestors uh, were designing this, they didn't think of an exit strategy. They didn't think of an exit strategy that was going to favor everyone, that was going to keep the country and the society together. When you hear people uh, like Joe Biden say, we're fighting for the soul of America, it's not just rhetoric. It's literally what kind of America will his descendants live in? What kind of America are we going to create? That kind of uh, political rhetoric gets lost when people like, you know, the, the Senate Majority Leader and the President talk about they're going to stack the Supreme Court with a Supreme Court nominee that the rest of us are saying, huh? And what relevance is that to me? Are they going to overturn things like qualified immunity and no-knock warrants? Then it doesn't mean anything to me. The Supreme Court is white. It will always be white. So why does it? It doesn't even reflect the changing color of the society you see what I'm saying? I, 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 I want to, I want us to be, I'm reiterating these facts because it's important to put things into context so that we paint a picture of what was really at stake here and what is really at stake for us to grasp. I saw something on my, on my Instagram feed recently that 277,000 people in Detroit did not vote in the presidential election in 2017. Mr. Trump won Michigan by 11,000 votes. If 277,000 people in Detroit had voted, he would have never gotten Michigan because getting Michigan gave him the election. Do you see what I'm saying? So it's not important enough for you to say, well, you know, I'm not going to participate in the process. You have to be in the process. Your ancestors were in the process and they were robbed of participation in the process. So you not participating in the process is continuing to perpetuate (laughs) and, and permeate the place with white supremacy and systemic racism. So you must participate. People are literally laying their lives on the line and putting, making their voices heard, coming out of the woodwork to engage with everyone, to understand how important this is. You've got to Understand it, don't let us down now. Some of us are have everything out there and everything on the line. My word, racism, according to Sean Rochester has cost black Americans $70 trillion. Listen to this, the wealth gap statistics show that in 2016, a typical middle-class white family had 149,000, I can't say that enough, it accumulated wealth. A typical black middle-class family had $13,000 in accumulated wealth. The uh, black tax, according to Mr. Rochester, is perpetuated by discrimination. Black people are hired less frequently. That's the truth. Paid less and have less access to wealth building tools. According to Mr. Rochester, he did his study and he said 250 years of unpaid labor is what costs and what has caused this gap in wealth between black and white families. He examined the years from 1619 to 1865. That was 250 years of unpaid labor. I know nobody's gonna like that because you don't wanna stick with the facts. You want quick, fast political rhetoric and stuff that looks nice on the news and that is just mind grabbing and just grabs you. But if you don't look at the facts and you get lost in the details, that's where they win. Have you ever seen that anybody who is really good at anything is someone who is focused? You ever real, You ever read somebody's job requirement that they need someone who is detail-oriented? There's a reason for that. Because you if you miss the details, as the saying goes, the devil is in the details. This man did his research because 250 years of unpaid labor is some real stuff. That means for 250 years, you never got paid. So you're, you have nothing to pass to the next generation. I'm an immigrant, right? So we look at it like this. Well, we have to kind of t- take 5,000 years, make it 250 years, wrap it all up in, in, a, in a lifetime of 50 years, because we recognize that we don't have the same tools that you all have. We don't have family who live and died and own land, so they bequeath you the land, and land is building wealth, right? Okay, so you don't, we don't have that. So we kind of have to do it really quickly. So we end up not living too long because it takes so much to work it out of you and you don't get to live to enjoy. But look at it this way. For 250 years, people were not paid. I'm going to give you, I told you this was going to be painful. Listen to this. Economists estimate that 24 to $97 trillion in labor was not paid to black Americans from 1619 to 1865. This is where it gets real intense. In 1863, Black Americans were denied access to the Homestead Act. You know what that was? That was where the government gave 160 acres to citizens to work the land for free. And after five years, they would own the land. Black Americans didn't. White Americans who participated in that today are the wealthiest group of people in the country. Their descendants are. Listen to this one. This is the one that kind of just made me want to give up right here. Black Americans were excluded from the Social Security Act of 1935. Are you listening to me? So they couldn't get unemployment insurance. They couldn't get uh, 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 Social Security, what we now refer to as Social Security. That resulted in $143 billion lost to Blacks. I just want you to let that sink in. Black Americans were excluded from the Social Security Act of 1935. Isn't that shameful? Shameful. The GI Bill excluded Black veterans. I didn't know that. The GI Bill of 1944 excluded Black veterans. That too was a $45 billion loss. You have to ask yourself, how, did, how do Black Americans cope with this? because it seems to me that the road to wealth for Black Americans has always been paved with violence, that it was violence that kept Black Americans from earning money, 250 years of unpaid labor, further perpetuated by Black denied access to the Homestead Act in 1863. That's kind of cruel, isn't it? Excluded from the Social Security Act What kind of society were you all trying to build when you didn't include a large segment of your population in social security? What did you hope to to start? What did you think was going to happen? And how the GI Bill excluded black veterans who fought in World War II and practically won World War II? Let's look at Black Wall Street, for instance, that was burnt down in the 1920s in Oklahoma, in Tulsa. That was violence that stopped black progress and black economic progress. The 1870s to 1965 was the era of Jim Crow. What happened? Violence against blacks that stopped black economic progress. I could go on and on. (laughs) We got to understand that Jim Crow laws no longer work but it left behind a residue, the residue of conscious, the residue of what I call, what most sociologists call implicit bias. The bias that is attributed and laid upon Black American consciousness. The bias that when you apply for a loan, you are denied a loan, even if your credit is good, even when your credit is super duper. The bias that when you apply for a job, you don't get a call back. The bias that Black Americans with bachelor's degrees graduate college and earn fifty thousand dollars, while their white counterparts earn sixty-one thousand dollars. The the bias it's a conscious and unconscious bias. Recently, I read a report on I might be uh, giving Business Insider the credit here, in which uh, a, a white a group a white think tank came together to try to understand why is it that Black Americans were not getting rehired after the pandemic, and what they found was that. And the president is saying something different, that the job numbers are bad. It's 31, the real number is 31.8 million people are unemployed since the pandemic began. That number is disproportionately comprised of Blacks and Latinos. Okay, so this group of people got together to figure out, well, why is that? And what they came away with shocked one of them. She said this, she said, I'm white, but I must admit that what managers who are white are not hiring black employees, but are choosing to rehire white employees. That means they are actively encompassing their biases. Are you hearing me? So people are acting on their biases. It's something I was having a conversation yesterday in which I said the same thing, that Since 2016, this has stirred up. It's not that it wasn't always there. It was always there. The problem was nobody, it wasn't stirred up. People kind of sort of didn't act on it because they didn't want anyone to know, or they didn't want people to accuse them of being racist. But since 2016, it's like, uh, let me just hang it all out there. Uh, Someone is commenting on my Levittown, New York, Brother one of my faithful viewers, says Levittown, New York, and Levittown, Pennsylvania were built specifically for white GIs who returned from World War II and excluded backs. Think of all the wealth those homes have generated in the 70 years plus. You are absolutely right. There is a 70 year progress there. Think about that. After World War II and the GI Bill, came down. Can you imagine? The GI Bill, which provided loans to buy homes and unemployment insurance. There are so many white Americans who are now upper middle class, who were not even middle class. Their ancestors, their, their, their parents and grandparents were not middle class, who benefited from the GI Bill. They now have generational wealth. So the grandparent who went to World War II sent their kids, sent his kids to college. That kid got a better job, could hire, then that kid has a kid who is now alive. Can you just believe that? It's the craziest thing I have ever heard. The violence that was used to control Black Americans, the violence that caused Black Wall Street to be burnt to the ground, it destroyed people's businesses. It destroyed their wealth. And guess what? Because of the Jim Crow laws that were in place and the constant beating and lynching of Black Americans, Black Wall Street was never rebuilt. Matter of fact, a group of people, including some right here from Detroit, have now decided to go back and rebuild Black Wall Street. This generation is doing something about it because now we ain't going to sit back and just let it ride just like that. They paid $15,000 for those homes. Mm, Those homes are now worth a comfortable $400,000. We have those communities right here in Michigan. When that whole thing started and they started moving white people out of of Detroit, some of those homes started out at $15,000. They're now worth $300,000. Blacks were excluded from that. Consequently, there's no generational wealth built up. I'm here for you all. I am here. And I ain't going nowhere. I'm here for it all. Listen to this, the violence, the violence. This is why this is why, you know, you have to pay attention because the same violence that took place during slavery, that took place during Jim Crow, that took place during civil rights is the same violence you just saw happen in Portland, in New York and elsewhere. All of it is designed to keep blacks from rising up to protest systemic racism. You heard the president through the attorney general give a decree that Portland, Oregon, and New York are anarchist cities. Well, it's an election year so I mean, thing. They, they're not gonna get any votes presumably from nobody in those areas. But that is part of the design of white supremacy. It is designed specifically to render blacks inoperable. It is designed specifically to tear down black communities so that your property value has no value. You look at cities like Detroit, and I'm just going to throw my city into it and my home state of Michigan into it. I've been saying this for a few years now, that black Americans in Detroit don't attach property value to their property. But when Detroit's renaissance came back and we voted in a white mayor, guess what? All of a sudden, property value in Detroit skyrocketed. Do you understand? So now people are still without any wealth. You can't keep your property because of high taxation. That is a specific tool of white supremacy and systemic racism. That means, you don't. first of all, you don't get work, right? They, if you are living in the home, they don't value it. So you can't get it appraised for a good value. But the same size house, the same house, move it and put it in Royal Oak or Birmingham appraises for two, three $300,000. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So you say, all right, I'm not going to live in a predominantly black community. I'm going to move into where white folks are. All right? I have a story to tell you. You're ready for this one. And I can relate because I've lived this one. So a white couple, an interracial couple in, in, in Jacksonville, Florida, one is black, the wife is black, the husband is white. They put their house up for an appraisal with their black, with her black art and her photographs in there. They came and appraised it for $300,000, and they were a little shocked because homes in the area were appraising for in excess of $350,000. She put it, took all the black art down, left her white husband in there to be the appraiser. That same house was valued at $465,000. Perception. The unconscious and conscious bias. When I lived in Central Florida, we had the same thing. Put our house up for sale. The house next door was sold for $165,000. They were all white. Put our house up for sale, and they didn't want to sell it to us. It was a new subdivision. It's in a city called Deltona, Florida, on your way to Daytona Beach on the I-4 corridor, right? So I said to my ex-husband, eh, we ain't doing that. The realtor told us, take down your photographs and take down your artwork. I kid you not, it happened to me. And my ex-husband went plumb crazy. He was like, I'm not going to do that. And I said, yeah, let's do it. We just want to get the household doing. We took it down and got $20,000 more. So whereas they were only going to make an offer for 100 and I think it was like 110,000, now we got 15,000 more. Walked away. Are you hearing what I'm saying? <laughs> this happens. The conscious and unconscious bias. There are people right now, so you say, okay, I'm going to move into a neighborhood where the property value is high. You move there, and all of a sudden, your property is is appraised less. You get letters from homeowners association like crazy. They pick on you. If you so much as have a leaf on your lawn, they almost kill you. Then they pick on your wife. If she doesn't shop at the same store, she's bringing down the quality of the neighborhood. Your kids can't play in the, in the driveway with their basket because that bouncing up that wall is just disturbing. I'm getting some comments here. Like the disparities between Benton Harbor and St. Joseph. Yeah. Kim Jones, have you ever heard from the ISIS's paper by Dr. Fr- no, you need to put the link up. Can you do that? I will read it. kid you not, folks, this is happening in real time. You work hard. You go and buy a home and you take out a mortgage. By the way, we we haven't even talked about the interest rate on mortgages. I know you're all ready to roll your eyes like, girl, you don't know. Let me tell you, we all have the same experiences. I lived in Central Florida in a community called in Orlando, Southwest Orlando, called Dr. Phillips. Apparently, it was, ai don't know if it's was, it probably was a highly prized neighborhood at the time. I learned that in an entire subdivision of maybe 100 homes or less, we were, there were only like five black families. The neighbor beside us had a pool attached to their house. We didn't. But ours was the corner lot in the cul-de-sac. So it was a, a little bigger lot at the back. Well, the appraiser came and appraised their house. And we found out that they were paying less mortgage. My ex was talking to the owner next door. I found out they, he, he was paying $350 less in mortgage than we were. So the next question was, well, how much is your house appraised at? The guy had no equity in his house because he was one of those people who used to show you how they build wealth, right? He uses his house like a what? Like a savings plan, right? So when he needs loans to go get more money on his credit card when he needs to go on vacation or buy a new toy, he just calls up his, his mortgage broker and they negotiate him a line of credit. We didn't do that. We were trying to build wealth and build equity in our home. So we never took out lines of credit. When I found out that they were paying more, less in mortgage than we were, I called, I called the mortgage company. Now, we didn't have the same mortgage company, but I called the mortgage company and I said, I just found out something called systemic racism. And you're actually practicing it because the guy next door in the, with the same house, our house was just as updated as he was. He's paying less in mortgage because he's white. We earn more than he does. Our credit is better because we don't have that much debt to income ratio. And you are giving him a lower interest rate. Do you know they redacted the payment? That's when I found out that this was actually real. That blacks, even when you buy high value homes, you pay a higher rate of interest. that means, according to what uh, Mr. Rochester wrote in his book, we actually it comes up to seven hundred and sixty million more per year that blacks pay on interest rate on our mortgages. I want us all to sit down and think about that see. We can never, they never let us forget the color of our skin. They never let us forget how black we are. Therefore, we should never let them forget how green the money is. So when you go to negotiate for a car, when I've taught my children, when you go to negotiate for a car loan, when you go to negotiate for credit cards, if the interest rate is too high, tell them, no, thank you, goodbye. I don't need it that much. Thank you, but no thank you. Negotiate, negotiate. Because if a white person is calling in for the same mortgage, and if you don't believe me, ask one of your white friends to call in, you're going to find that their interest rate is four points less than yours. Their payments are going to be less. Have you never wondered how you are a, a PhD candidate? You have a master's degree, you have a doctoral degree, or you may even have a bachelor's degree. The houses in your subdivision start at 230000 Have you never wondered why the guy who lives next door to you, who his wife works at the factory, but you're a whole college professor. You're a whole CEO of a company. You are vice president and director. But the guy who lives next door to you, he and his wife work a chef's job at the plant, but they can afford it. It never occurred to you why that happened. It's called systemic racism. They can afford to pay. They get a lower mortgage payment because they have a lower interest rate. But you and I, I don't know, it's something in our names, the sound of our names, something in our voices. They just negotiate, and they just give you the highest interest rate like what I saw in Central Florida. And you wonder why. I promise you, I will never live in Florida again. It was bad enough for me. That was all. Just yesterday, I'm watching the news. And the governor of Florida shut off the unemployment payments for 12.6% of the people. 12.6% of the people who live in Florida are unemployed as a result of the pandemic that is raging. And the governor of Florida shut off the unemployment payments. I could not live in the South anymore. I can't do it. I can't do it. It seems to me That whereas they couldn't enforce Jim Crow laws physically, they enforce it, you know it, economically. According to Mr. Rochester, we have lost $70 trillion between the years. Just just hold on. Between the years. The years of when? 1865. 1619 to 1865. Dudes and dudettes, my friends, my brothers, my sisters. 250 years we haven't quantified what has happened since jim crow between the 1870s and civil rights ended in 1965 i know and we need to stop blaming ourselves and blaming our brothers and sisters and say it's because it's you man You, you you won't get up and do something listen i know get it i get it when you've been beaten down when you've been handed down, when you've been pushed on, when you are denied, how are you supposed to feel? You send your kids to college. Hey, they come out with a, with a bachelor's degree. Why, what? You have to ask yourself that you're a whole bachelor's degree. Why are you earning $14 and $15 an hour? You come out with a master's degree and you're earning $15 an hour. How are we supposed to sit back and take that? You know how we're going to do it? There are a couple of tools we got here. You know one of them, what we're going to do? We're going to vote. Make sure you do that. The second thing we're going to do, we're going to start turning our money inward. Whether they give good customer service or not, we're going to start buying black. I, we're going to find black banks and we're going to open accounts with black banks because black banks are going to invest the money in black communities. They're going to lend money to black businesses. doesn't matter if you fail. It doesn't matter. Go out there and still lend the money. It doesn't matter if they fail still lend them the money because they're learning. It's like starting all over again because we never got a chance to participate in the full economy from the get-go. From the get-go, we were brought as slaves, chained to an ideology of white supremacy, chained and broken down and beaten down. I'm not appealing to your emotions. I'm stating the facts. These are the facts. And if we can't acknowledge the facts how are we going to move forward we have to understand how we got here when i see people and i see mass incarceration and i see so many black males in jail i don't just say well you never paid your child support or you got pulled over for carrying weed no i start looking at the processes behind it and I, i have to credit some folks who took me aside and said here are the reasons why And if you look at the reasons why that systemically are designed to make people fail, they are going to fail. And when I saw those reasons presented to me by my sisters and brothers who are black, and some of them were white too, when I saw it, like you, I did this. I put my hand on my head and said, dear God, help us. Unfortunately for me, you know when that started to happen? Guess, 2016. What happened in 2016? You all know right? Do you see what I'm saying? Hey, (laughs) right? So I'm saying to all of us, we've got to to get to the place where we recognize that, listen, if you're going to start a Black business, you're going to start a business, I want you to start it. Even if your business, make sure your business is online, because if you don't have it online, it ain't going anywhere, right? Start your business online before you transport it to, 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 to brick and mortar. But start anyway. Write out your own business plan. It doesn't have to follow anybody's model. Keep your credit if you can. Because one of the things they do is fire back people frequently so you can what, save. Never pay your bills on time. Then when you go to apply, what's the first thing they tell you? Your credit just does not meet the criteria. How am I going to meet the criteria if you if I don't keep a job for longer than a year? How is Mike? How are people going to have credit after this pandemic? Listen to me. How are people going to have credit after this pandemic? If people have had, have not been rehired. Let me read what somebody else is saying. Uh, speaking of what, let's talk about people who rely on social security for retirement and who have lost pulses and will now receive reduced benefits because of premature death. Are you serious? so they're going to re- receive reduced because of premature death. So COVID-19 is classified as premature death. We need to talk more about that. <laughs> I I need an answer. I'm going to start talking about that. I did not know that. I did not know that. Do you see what I'm saying? So I'm going to read it for those who are just joining. Listen to this. Economists estimate that 24 to 97 trillion dollars was lost in labor from 1619 to 1865. In 1863, Black Americans were denied access to the Homestead Act. You all know that. You you heard your grandparents talking about it and your parents, didn't you? You heard that. When, When the white flight started and white people started moving to the suburbs, the Homestead Act was in the 1860s. That led to, it built up, right? The Homestead Act, is where most wealthy Americans today got their wealth because their forebears got 160 acres that they could work for free. And five years later, the government gave it to them. So you hear about all these cattle ranchers and all that, so they could sell that land later on to big industrial companies. Meanwhile, you and I, our ancestors, who worked in the fields, who picked cotton, who were driven and beaten and lashed and made fun of. I can't begin to imagine. My, my, my daughter says it like this. She says, sometimes it's almost as if you can hear the cries of the ancestors, as their backs were laced with whips and their flesh was beaten off. And then after that, they were raped, men and women. Did you all know that? Do you know why that part was left out of history? they knew there would come a time when we would hold them accountable. My friends, this is it. We have to start holding people accountable. We have to start demanding because we are, it's not that you're entitled to it, it's beyond entitlement, it's yours. It's not about being entitled to it. It's yours because, hey, who built it? The American economy has been the world's greatest economy since 1871. Can I just ask you a question? who Who was the unpaid labor from sixteen nineteen to eighteen sixty five Uh-huh, you're looking at it. Look at yourself. That's you, and that's me. That's how come America became great. Who did it? Our ancestors did? They did it. They built it, so you're not entitled to it. It's yours. They don't want you to think like that. They want to intimidate you into not thinking like that because if you do. You will be just like our children right now who are standing in the streets and who are demanding a change because they're like, uh-uh, we own this. They do. They recognize it because they're reading the same history that you and I have read. You ever wonder why slavery was not taught in schools and how it was pictured like the, the Black person uh, wanted to be enslaved? They, it was their way of contorting history to suit their own ends. About a year ago, there was a story about Freetown in Alabama. Well, after slavery ended and the international slave trade, the Atlantic slave trade was disbanded. This guy in Alabama took out a loan of some $20,000. 20,000 back then was like 20 million. (laughs) And he went and bought slaves in Benin, West Africa. The slave trade had ended, but somehow he managed to slip through. He took a different route. And came to Alabama with the slaves. When he came to Alabama with the slaves, he sold them, human beings, that's human trafficking, sold them. But the descendants of those slaves still live today. The men who borrowed the $20,000 to buy slaves, his descendants today, guess what wealth is? $55 million. If it were me, I would have held them accountable. Part of that $55 million is mine. You cannot be afraid or be intimidated. Let them bring it to you. You cannot be afraid. We have to be more bold than our ancestors were. Our ancestors had nothing. They were trembling, but they still stood up to the tyranny and tried their very best with what they had to overcome. Today. We have better tools. We must stand our ground, and we must insist that we get better interest rates. And when they don't hire you, it's not enough to just walk away. Get on Facebook, get on Twitter, and embarrass the hell out of them for not hiring blacks, for practicing racism. Embarrass them, embarrass them, embarrass them. Eventually, they're going to retract. Eventually, they're either gonna change their their company's culture, or they're gonna get rid of the people who are like that. If you notice today, since the pandemic started, and after George Floyd, you notice that most companies come out with this policy of diversity and inclusion, that they're into it. What they're sensing is that something is coming down the line. If you also notice during the pandemic, when the George Floyd mass protests were taking place all over the country, then it spread worldwide. The white people who have power said, hold on, shut this down, stop focusing on that, let's go back and focus on the pandemic. They started focusing on the pending because focusing on the marches for, for civil rights and the march for equal rights was doing what? Was empowering more people to step up and speak up. They don't want to live in a world where they can't go anywhere. They want to live in a world where white power and white supremacy still prevails. Are you hearing me? That is the problem. This is why when people are talking, I'm like, stop fighting with one another. It's useless. The problem is not me. The problem is not you. The problem is white supremacy as the ideology. And as long as that ideology continues to prevail, that is the ideology that continues to rob us of our wealth. White people, white people find it easy to get into college. Why is that? Why are black kids continually finding it more difficult to access higher education? White people get higher tuition refunds than black kids do. Black kids get two thousand dollars. White kids are getting six, seven, eight thousand dollars in college in, in tuition refunds. That's all part of the robbing of the wealth. Why is it you go to apply for a loan? You get turned down. You have everything right. They tell you come in with a business plan. Look at me. Come in with a business plan. You go in with everything, and they won't give you the loan, but they give this as a white girl who is going to set up a yoga studio with a juice bar. And they they give her a $55,000 credit line predicated on nothing. It's called systemic racism. Let me read what you're saying. There needs to be a class action lawsuit against the administration and the president for willful blindness. You must reach full retirement age in order to receive full benefits. If you die 54 and your spouse is 56, your spouse automatically receives a reduced benefit. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. People need, this is the truth, but do you see what I'm saying? It is, it and one of the things that happens with that too, it varies, it varies from individual to individual. You need to talk to the people who work behind the scenes. We have to stop. When you see another Black person who comes forward to get service, we have to see them as a consumer and understand that systemic racism has intersected and impacted that person's life just like mine. You cannot treat another black person as though as the same way that the white society treats treats us. We need to stop it because as you can see, we gave 250 years of unpaid labor that is worth $70 trillion and still counting. So when people are talking about reparations Baby, it's not 40 acres and a mule. We need to get back the 250 years of unpaid labor. We need to get back the 1870 to 1965 Jim Crow when they made us all cotton pickers and you had to go pick cotton. And at the end of the day, you still never made any money. You ever heard your parents and grandparents say your grandparents, you must have heard your parents tell the story of their grandparents and how they were cotton pickers. They were picking cotton, y'all and still could not make ends meet while working on the plantation. Every time the farmer would come around, the plantation owner came around and said, well, uh, I still had to feed you. I still had to do this. So it all came out of what you owe. Still never made it. They came to the North and racism hit them again because whites who were living here made sure that blacks did not get jobs in the factories. You need to read the history the untold history. This is why it's important to sit down with our older, older family members and let them tell us. Sometimes it's so painful they don't want to talk about it, but we need to. I read a book about two years ago called The Sons of Other Sons. It talks about the great migration from the south to the north. Listen to me. I didn't finish reading it. I have 100 pages left in that book to read. I couldn't I couldn't, I became so enraged. It anchored me. The stuff that I read, these are lived experiences. These are survivors of Jim Crow who sat down with their sons and daughters to tell the story of how they made it through. I could not believe this stuff. My friends, we got work to do. We got to get this together. I know I'm talking to you because you have it together. We got to talk to one another. See, our, our, our brother and our son who is acting a fool out there, firing shots and driving chargers, they don't really understand what is at stake. The other day I saw one and I I, I had to stop him. And I had a conversation with him. I said, do you really understand what you're doing when you, you drive like that? I said, do you understand what's at stake? I said, do you really understand? You have a family, you have children, so you're going to be locked up in jail, and your children won't have anybody because the system is designed that way. We have to talk to them. I'm not. Don't beat them over the head. Talk to them. Reason with them. Yes, we have to because our time we're passing. We're 40s and 50s and 60s and upwards. The young ones, the young ones who are coming up, they don't know what is at stake. And we need to tell them so they know. Do you understand what I'm saying? I got to go. People are, are, are trying to, uh, watch, uh, you know, they're trying to get me to wind up and stop telling me I'm a, all the time. I got like two minutes more. They could finally gave me some more time. Imagine that. That's what happens when you, you know, you know, right? But we have too much work to do. These numbers I know are staggering. These, I'm going to put this in a bullet point on my Facebook page so you can read it for yourself. The book is called The Black Tax. The gentleman who wrote it is Sean Rochester. He's one, he's a, it was not easy for him to write. It was painful to do this research knowing that this directly impacted our parents and our grandparents and how painful it must have been for them to experience it while even though we're getting the residue of it. We can't stop until the entire thing is erased because if we stop, it's going to rise up and it's going to come back. We thought we kind of had crossed over. Then we thought we were on our way to crossing over. And then here comes 2016 and a president who stirred it all up again. And now we're living in fear of our lives, don't want to drive, don't want to do this, don't want to do that, can't wait for an election, don't know if the election is even sure. don't know what's going to happen, trying to ram somebody on the Supreme Court so his staying power is perpetuated. And guess what? The worst part? There are people who support that ideology and want the country to return to a Jim Crow state of being. My friends, we got a lot of work to do. My name is Harry Kimmich. I got to (laughs) go. This has been down to earth. Make sure you share my podcast. Thank you, all of you. I'm assuming everybody on here is a subscriber. Thank you for subscribing. Share this with everyone you know. We've got to continue this conversation and talk about this. This cannot just be. Have a nice day. Be blessed, everybody. Thank you so much for being a part of my experience today. Thanks so much. Keep the comments going. Thank you. Thank you so much. My goodness, I hope you all enjoy that. Thank you so much. Woo hey, I can't hang up yet. Hi, hi, everybody. I'm sorry. <laughs> hello, hi, hello. are you still there? all right hello hi
0: i can't I can't get to my phone. There, can get to my phone. Hello, can you hear me?
1: Yes, I can hear you. Which one? I don't know which one of you answered, but yeah, go ahead.
0: Uh, this is this is Pastor Don Junior, CEO. I just heard the show and I really loved it. You said a lot of good, deep information, and a lot of it was common sense driven. And the thing that blew me away was so much is uh, there's the elephant in the room, but people walk around the elephant and go in the kitchen, give them some eat, and they the elephant is standing in front of the TV. But we were looking through the elephant to get this uh, information. So I just really love what you're doing. Uh, I hope my winning team was have called in because I text a lot of people and told them to call in. I know that uh, LD from Cleveland Corner definitely was on the line. He said you dropped a lot of knowledge. He sent me a text message. So, uh, yeah, it's a lot of people. Uh, he, if he's on the line, he's on the 769 number. You might want to open it. Oh,
1: line. yeah. I'm going to talk to him.
0: He's a real good, he's a real good guy. Thank you so
1: much. The All right. Thank you so much, sir. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. Hey, I really want to hear what you have to say. Thanks for holding. Hello. Hi. You're still on the phone. I don't know what happened. <laughs> Hello.
0: Yes, I'm here.
1: Okay. I really want to hear what you have to say. I really want, because I want people to understand that this is about all of us.
0: Yes, ma'am. I was really just enjoying everything uh, that you were bringing to the table or shedding some light on. Uh, I don't think people understand the extent that others have gone through to keep certain peoples, certain disenfranchised peoples out of uh the path to success and I, it's just very enlightening i was trying to spread the word and i have reached out to you on social media everywhere i can you'll find that mm-hmm. out later uh, just mm-hmm. to connect with you but i really appreciate what you're doing and the message and everything that you stand for
1: thank you i appreciate it you know it's not easy for us right because you know they want to shut our voices down because we're speaking truth to power I do. Yeah. Thank you so much, sir. I appreciate it. Be blessed.
0: Yes, ma'am, you as well. Thank you. What
1: if you could have a career
0: where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job, it's a calling. Agents answer the call